It's my pleasure to welcome you to Herald Broadcasting Network Sabbath School Half Hour. This week we have lesson 13, the last in this quarter, which had been Rest in Christ. Lesson 13 is titled The Ultimate Rest. We have our memory text taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. It reads, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. That is speaking about the ultimate rest. And this lesson has as its goal to let us understand that on earth as it were now, our rest is only temporary. If at all we find rest, and that of course is our goal, to find rest in Christ. And though we can find rest even today by submitting to the leading of the Lord Jesus Christ, this rest is often punctuated by the ongoing great controversy between God and Satan, between good and evil. This cosmic battle began in heaven and it extended to the earth with the entrance of sin in Eden. Uh, that was how sin came, as sin in turn brought about human restlessness as we have it today. Human suffering, human sorrow and sickness and even death. And so this week is uh, he announcing hope for us, for the entire universe. It emphasizes that a day is coming when the great controversy will be ended and with victory for God and his people. This is hope for us. Then our eternal ultimate rest will come when Christ appears a second time to bring to an end all the headaches of this life, all the diseases, all the disasters, and all the kinds of death that we are going through. At that time, God will make a new heaven and a new earth. That's what we read in Revelation chapter 21. And so Christ gave hope, you know, to the early church. He gave the vision of hope to John the Revelator. And uh, he also gave some specific signs that will be applying to show that the uh, end is near. All the signs he outlined in the book of Matthew chapter 24. Christ had given the larger church his final warning of love to prepare all people for the second coming. And you know those uh, patriarchs, those early disciples all waited for the promises seeing those signs are passing. And though they never saw it, they all died in the hope and faith in the great promise of the ultimate rest. 
we can see that in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, which uh, lists the heroes of faith, they rested in peace in death, as death is just a mere sleep. Death is just a mere sleep. Therefore, Christians who are passing through the present tribulations are counseled to rejoice in the Lord always. That's what Paul says. And with this, we can see the very trust of this week's lesson. It's just to let us know that the ultimate rest will come. So we should hope on the Lord and then keep having faith in him. Now, this is the lesson outline as we have it. We are going to go through right from the uh, very first part, which is Sunday lesson through Thursday. We have some uh, teams, sub-teams that are given to us. Sunday team is titled A Vision of the End. Yes, Christ gave John the Revelator a vision of the end. And that is what we see in the book of uh, Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. John was at that time imprisoned in the island of Patmos. Island of Patmos, that's what we see in verse 9. Then Christ spoke to him, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, you know, and he so said to him, What you see, write in a book and send to the seven churches of Asia. The churches were the church of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. These are the seven churches of the Asia Minor. And seven here is a symbol of completion, a symbol of perfection. So these churches represented all the churches throughout the Christian history, right from the time of the early disciples to the end of age. And so the book of Revelation came to us, and we can call it a vision of the end. I call it a vision of hope. Hope that Jesus will come to take us away from all these troubles that we are going through. Why was this vision of the end needed? John was indeed the oldest surviving disciple of Jesus Christ. All of the disciples had died in one way or the other while hoping for the master's promise of his soon return. You remember in the book of John 14, 1 to 6, Jesus said to the disciples, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God and believe also in me. My father's house are many mansions, and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again to receive you unto myself. And where I am, there ye may be also. That was a promise of the ultimate rest, a promise of Christ's soon return. And also in the book of Acts chapter 1 verse 11, when Jesus was ascending on that faithful day, disciples were all, 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 all perplexed and watching him. And then 
one angel appeared unto them and said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into the sky? This same Jesus you see today will like manner return. And you know, that was again the promise of Christ's soon return. And so, also when Christ was ending his ministry with the disciples, he made a promise to them. He said in Matthew 28, verse 30, I will be with you even unto the end. And so John, he had been lonely on the island of Patmos, was, uh, you know, expecting hope and was perplexed. So Christ brought to him that hope, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And that was a message of hope to him. He was shown how all the controversy will end. He was shown to, to write them down. And in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 and 2, John wrote and said, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, but the first heaven had passed away, and everything became new. Said then also there was no more sea. See here refers to the storms and controversies and the troubles that are involved in the current scheme of things. Then John said, I saw the holy city New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride for her husband. Her husband, of course, is Jesus Christ. So the great vision of the end which John saw encouraged him to hope in the provision and promise of God. He wrote them to encourage us today. I know we may be encouraged by reading and hearing the book of uh, Revelation. That's the final book that God has given to encourage us. And the summary purpose of that book is just to show us the vision of the end and to make us appreciate that in the midst of all the hard and fearful present times, God knows the future. The ultimate is going to be good for God's own children who remain faithful to the end. Therefore, we should comfort ourselves with these promises now. Monday lesson goes ahead and is titled The Countdown. The Countdown to the Ultimate Rest, of course. At the request of the disciples, Jesus presented a countdown of events that will precede the, precede the second coming, you know, when the time is ripe, you know. Jesus began to tell them events that would take place right from his own time to the end of, of age. That's in the book of Matthew 24. Jesus wanted to intimidate his people throughout ages with a rough sketch of the divine shadow, divine time, time shadow of the you know, end time prophecies so that those living at the end of time or rather at the time of the end, just like you and me, will be prepared and not be caught unawares. So we have there in the book of Matthew, signs of the times, signs of Christ's second coming. Uh, Christ made it clear that his coming will be literal. Every eye will see him, 
it's not going to come figuratively as some people think. Some say he has come already, and some say he will come in the distant future, you know. And so they wish away the coming of Christ and make it of little consequence. There will be science in nature, you know, science in politics, science in religion, science in the social world, you know, in terms of nature. Jesus said that uh, nature will revolt. There will be earthquake. There will be all kinds of pestilence. Nature will turn upside down. And you and I know that these signs are already fulfilled. In terms of politics, say nations will rise against nations. There will be wars and rumors of wars. This is playing, taking place already. And these events are fulfilling in greater intensity day by day in greater greater frequency we know that it is true also in the realm of religion Jesus said that uh, there will be signs especially the faith of many will wax cold just like it is now and uh, the young people will no longer respect the elderly there will be lawlessness here and there and indeed the man of sin will appear that man of sin who will challenge the Lord and times of God, and these are really fulfilled. Signs in religious places that, uh, you know, brother will betray brother, and these signs are already fulfilled. There will be signs in the social world. The men, just like in the days of Noah, will marry and giving a marriage, they won't care about the things of eternity anymore. And Jesus will come and he will cut them unawares. These signs are already fulfilled. But the final sign of the appearing of Jesus Christ is the preaching of the everlasting gospel, the present truth. In Matthew 24, 14, said, Jesus said, And the gospel of this kingdom, kingdom shall be preached to all nations and created their tongue and people for a witness and then the end will come thus for a witness the gospel will be preached you know Jesus will give everyone opportunity to hear the gospel to believe the gospel accept him to be saved or make a choice against him and then they will be without excuse it is not God's will that then it should perish, but that all will come to repentance. Therefore, the gospel must be preached, this time in terms of the everlasting gospel, or what Revelation uh, Peter referred to as the present truth. The present truth. There is a present truth for every generation. The present truth for this end-time generation is the second, is the everlasting gospel the three angels messages which we will discuss in the later part of this lesson but this is the only sign that is yet to be fully fulfilled because the present truth the remnant mission is still being preached today not everyone has said about it and so god is still waiting that we go to preach that everyone will get to hear this gospel they will not be with any excuse in the ongoing judgment in the heavenly sanctuary. Our first sense, brethren, we need to know that we have been given a prophetic role to play 
in the whole drama as it is going on now. That is just that we don't need to sit as passive observers in the great controversy, but be active preachers in the face of all the persecutions which we must go through and which we are going through. But Jesus promises that he who endures to the end shall receive a crown of glory. That is what is repeated to all the seven churches of Asia. Of course, those promises are to us. If we endure to the end, doing God's will, we will receive a crown of glory. God will give us a place by his side when the ultimate rest appears. Let's move on now to Tuesday. Tuesday is titled Marching Order. Marching Order. God has given the remnant church a mission to accomplish. The last day church. That is what we have as the three angels' messages of Revelation 14, verses 6 to 12. Let us try to stray these three angels' messages as to understand the import of each of them. Beginning with the first angel's message, which is given to us in Revelation 14, verses 6 to 7, it will please you to know that the first angel's message has four parts, four parts, and I will quickly outline them now, emphasizing the meaning of each part. The first part of the first angel's message says, Fear God, fear God. And Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, there the wise man tells us what it means to fear God. He said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and give him glory. Fear God. And he said that here, fear God. And he said, this is the whole duty of man. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. What I derive from this is that to fear God means to keep his commandments. If anyone says he fears God or he loves God, but he does not keep his commandment, the Bible says that he is a liar. It's a liar. No liar will make it in heaven. No liar will enjoy the ultimate rest. Let us beware. Let us fear God, discover his covenant and his commandment, and do well the best we can by the power of the Holy Ghost to keep God's commandment. God requires that we keep the commandment just like babies. What God requires from us is humble obedience. You know, he knows that we are weak. That is why wherever we fail, grace is there to cover us. We can always confess our sins. Second element of the first angel's message says, give glory to God, give glory to him. What does it mean to give glory to God? You know, what it means that as much as possible, we should give all the glory to God and not to ourselves or to any man. This is the way the Apostle Paul catches it in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. He said, whether therefore you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So God has given us rules concerning what we eat. You know, clean and unclean meats, as we have them in Leviticus chapter 11. 
and Deuteronomy 14, we will do well to discover those meals, those meats that God has said are clean. Those are the only ones we may eat just because we need to give God a clean body. If we eat abominable food, the Bible says that we will also be abominable before God. We are special people, a peculiar nation, the holy people. Therefore, we should be careful what we eat. And also, God has given rules as to what we drink. Every child of God who knows he is a temple of the Holy Spirit should stay away from intoxicating alcohol, intoxicating drink. That is why in the book of Proverbs chapter 20, as well as 23, God makes it clear through the wise man that strong drink is raging, and whoever is wise should stay away from it. He didn't say take a little, or look away, look away when it is read in the cup. We should be careful not to put into our systems what will defile it, what will drive away the Holy Spirit. And then there are rules concerning what we wear too. All about the Bible is made clear that we should only wear what will glorify God. Men should not wear what pertains to women. Women should not wear what pertains to men. And also, in all kinds of ways we dress. If you dress in a way that will glorify God, women should dress in humility, dressing as those who are careful to keep their hearts pure, not in showing up by earrings and all kinds of bangles and necklaces, God hates those things. And God's uh, attitude towards addressing ourselves with ornaments is negative. And therefore, if we love God, we should also love what He loves and hate what He hates. Our attitude towards the use of jewelries and ornaments should be negative, not to decorate the body to show our pride. Rather, our adorning should be adorning of the heart. And so the second element of the angels of the first angel's message says, Give glory to him, give glory to God in what we eat and what we drink and what we put on. The third element says the hour of his judgment has come. Judgment here refers to the uh, uh, pre-advent judgment which uh, the prophet Daniel predicted in Daniel chapter 8.14 saying unto 2,300 days then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. That is referring to the pre-advent judgment we began way back in the year 437 BC and 437, okay, I'm not so sure here, but you know, the calculation is very, very obvious that we can calculate when the uh, time, prophetic timetable began to read. We can calculate. And uh, the prophecy made it so clear that the time to begin to count is well from the time when the uh, decree will be made to ask Israel to go back to their nation to rebuild the walls and the temple. That decree was made in the seventh year of Artaxerxes, and the calculation is very simple and very easy. And of course, it ended, the time prophecy ended in 1844. That is why we know 
that the pre-avent judgment began in 1844. That is the time of the Laodicean church. Laodicea means a people under judgment. Christ entered the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary and he began the judgment at the end of that prophetic timetable. And so that is what is being announced here by John the Revelator, that the hour of God's judgment has come. And so the remnant believers are enjoined to go, warn the world to flee from the wrath of God. For the judgment of God began in 1844. Books are being opened, records are being checked. Every confessed sin is forgiven. Every unconfessed sin remains there. The last part of the first angel's message says, Worship him who made the heaven and the earth, you know, and the fountains of waters. Today, this message is very important because men are saying that grace, the grace of God, has gone away with the need to keep his commandment. But that is not true. Jesus himself said, And the Lord stands forever. Heaven and earth may pass away, but the word of God will not, will not pass away, but stand forever. Whoever uh, offends any of the least commandments and teaches men so, Jesus said he will be least, the least in the kingdom of God. And so it's important to call men back to true worship. True worship uh, is, in, is given to us in the Bible through the uh, Ten Commandments of God, the Fourth Commandment, say, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you do all your works, but seven days belongs to the Lord. And so God has given the Sabbath day as a seal of His commandment, you know, a way to show that He is the owner of all things, a way to show that He created all things, a way to show that He is the one who sanctifies us, is the one who blesses us. He is the one who owns all things. With this, we go to the second angel's message. Revelation chapter 14 verse 8 simply says, I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven saying, Babylon is fallen. Babylon is fallen. That nation that made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of our fornication. At the time, John was declaring the fall of Babylon. The ancient Babylon had already fallen. You know, here it was a symbolic Babylon that he was referring to. The Babylon that had the same characteristics of disobedience, idolatry, as the ancient Babylon who taught the world idolatrous practices. It was the ancient Babylon that led the world away. Remember the story of Nimrod that was told in Genesis chapter 11. Well, Babylon that, that uh, taught the world idolatrous practices. And that Babel, all those nations that scattered to various places into various languages, they went with those various idolatrous practices even till today. And so the Christian church is what John is referring to here in Revelation uh, chapter 14 verse 8 and saying, Babylon is fallen. Because the Christian church has imbibed those idolatrous practices that were copied from Babylon through the nations that succeeded it. The last of them, of course, was the Roman Empire. 
that adulterous Roman Empire became a Christian nation and eventually as they came into the church they brought in all their idolatrous practices all the adults that came from Babylon were given Christian names and the saints were given you no know, the, the pagan idols were given Christian names and today idolatry have been brought into the church and the church is fallen that's what Paul is saying here and uh, Revelation 18 1 to 6 continues the message of Revelation 14 verse 8 giving us reason why Babylon was fallen said they made all nations drink of the rot of the uh, one of the rot of our fornication you know that fallen church became corrupted with Babylonish adulterous practices and so Babylon here refers to the uh, you know apostate Catholicism combined with Pentecostalism and uh, what we call uh, Protestantism and current day uh, uh, idolatrous practices in the form of uh, spiritualism or spiritism. All these things are combined. That is why the Bible says Babylon is fallen, the church is fallen. And the warning in Revelation chapter 18 says, Come out of my people. If you come out of Babylon, where do you go to? You go to the remnant church of God with Revelation 14 verse 12 says that keeps all of God's commandments and they have the faith of Jesus. And Revelation chapter 12 verse 17 says that this remnant church fed the wrath of the dragon because they keep all of God's commandments and they have the spiritual prophecy or the testimony of Jesus. Revelation 19 10 says that this uh, testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy which we believe was representing the ministry of the, of the servant of God, the messenger of God. Ellen G. White in the Adventist church, we began from 1844 until death. God used Sister White to help the church to build up in their doctrines and directed them in so many ways and to interpret what happened in 1844. That Christ was not to come to the earth, but was to go into the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary that we know. That brings us to the third angel's message. Revelation 14, 9-11 that says, If any man worship the beast or his image, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. But this is one against worship of that beast that uh, changed God's time and law. If you read your prophecy way back at the book of Daniel chapter 7, you know, it tells us of a, of a power, the little horn. You know, Daniel chapter 7 from verse 25, that will persecute the sins of God and change God's times and laws. And this is already fulfilled in the change of the Sabbath day, from the seventh day Sabbath of the fourth commandment to the first day Sabbath according to their own details. And they said, the papacy says that this is the mark of the authority. God's own mark of authority, the seventh day Sabbath, 
But this power says that the mark of the authority, the mark of their power is the first day Sunday. They have transferred the solemnity of uh, the Sabbath from Saturday, the seventh day, to the first day. Yet there's no command in the Bible concerning that. Jesus himself kept the seventh day Sabbath. The apostles kept the seventh day Sabbath. But this power representing the dragon, according to Revelation 13, verse 2, you know, is actually playing a part on the side of the devil against God's will. The image of the beast, of course, is referring to America in prophecy. Revelation 13 begins from verses 11 to 18 that we can study further to discover. Now let's go to Wednesday part of this lesson. It's titled, Rest in Peace. Rest in Peace. This is the experience of the heroes of faith as we have in Hebrews 11, verses 13 to 16. In the entire Hebrew chapter 11, we see a list of heroes of faith, the Petras, who made it. They were all, you know, expecting the coming of Jesus, but as time went on, they all slept in the Lord. They died without receiving this hope, but then they died and suffered They never asked for any excuse because they were expecting a better resurrection, a better resurrection, because Jesus already said that sleep, rather death, is like mere sleep. Those who sleep in the Lord, they will awake when Jesus appears. Paul in the book of First Corinthians, the Thessalonians chapter 4 tells us that the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will rise up first. Therefore, those who died in the Lord, believing and trusting, never giving up, they actually are resting in peace. Resting in peace. So Paul continues this uh, presentation in the book of Philippians chapter 4. Verses 4 to 6. It says, uh, uh, Be careful for nothing but in all situations. Uh, bring your challenges to God by prayer and by supplication. And then the peace of God that passes all understanding will attend to your soul. It began this counsel by saying, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, Rejoice. Why do we rejoice? Because even when we are facing persecution or we die in diverse ways, all hope is not lost because we are only resting in peace that the rest of a Christian who dies in the Lord. So this brings us to Thursday lesson which is uh, titled Rejoice in the Lord Always. Rejoice in the Lord Always. Brethren, what this is, means is that if we are in the Lord, we can rejoice indeed in Him. We can rejoice indeed in Him and no matter what is going on, we have a grace. We have grace. A grace that will never fail. We have a promise that will never fail. We have Jesus who will never fail. We can find our rest in him. No matter what we are going through, rejoice in the Lord always. Now we will end with the memory verse of this week, which was taken from the book of uh, First Corinthians, we read it at the beginning of uh, this presentation today. It said that uh, 
eye has not seen, nor ear had, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God had prepared for those who love him, especially who, those who endure to the end. That is the repeated promise of uh, the message to the seven churches. Those uh, promises come to us today. If we endure whatever we are going through, hardship and uh, deprivation and all kinds of situations, if we can endure to the end, uh, we will receive a crown of life. Let us wait upon this promise, for it will surely come. It will surely come. The ultimate rest will surely come. Let's hold on to it. Whatever you are going through, hold on a little longer. The Lord will not leave you alone. I pray that indeed as we hold on to this promise, the Lord will be real to us and we shall bear testimonies. In Jesus' name, amen.